All right, let's turn to Galatians chapter 3. But let's start and ask God to bless us. Lord, we thank you for each one who's come out today to look at your word. We know it's the word of God is very, very important to you. You say you magnify your word above your name. That's hard to imagine, but that's how important the Bible is. And so we thank you we have them in our hands and that we're free to read them openly without being arrested. And so we thank you for your word. Bless it today as we look at Galatians in Jesus' name. Amen. We started Galatians, and it is one of the clearest books on salvation by faith alone. You don't add anything to belief. You believe in Jesus and you're saved. And the reason he wrote it, look at the very important verses, verse 6 of chapter 1. I marvel that you are turning away so soon, verse 6 of chapter 1, from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. So there are, evidently there's a different gospel, and it's a false gospel, a gospel probably of works, that you add works to salvation. How much faith does it take to believe? You know? As a grain of mustard seed. That's just like a little bit more than no faith at all. Just that saves you. Faith in Jesus. And so we see that they turned away to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Satan has wanted to do that all ever since Paul wrote Galatians. And so this tells about how he started after 14 years, he went up to Jerusalem. He wasn't even known to the disciples in Jerusalem. Um, he went to visit them. But notice what he said in chapter 1, verse 17. I didn't go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. These are the same places we can point to in the map today. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Um, he said, afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown, Paul said, by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they who were hearing only that he who formerly persecuted us, they'd heard about Paul, now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God in me. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. You learn in that passage that Peter was given the gospel charge to reach the Jewish people as Paul was given the charge to reach the Gentiles. And so we see then in this wonderful verse where he says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. I would love for you to memorize this. But Christ lives in me. He lives in each believer. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. So you're saved by faith and you live by faith. You could say salvation faith and post-salvation faith. So today we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Paul said, I don't set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died 
uselessly or in vain. O foolish Galatians, here's where we stop. O foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? Somebody came in to teach a false gospel. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having now begun in the Spirit by believing in Jesus and the Holy Spirit coming to live in your life, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Are you going back under trying to keep the law, the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you, and that's what happens at the moment of salvation, God places his Holy Spirit within the body of the believer, and he wants to control our lives, but we still have a free will. We can say no to him, or we can say, yes, you can use me. And that's what he wants to do is use these bodies. He's a spirit. So in order to be seen and heard, he needs a body. And that's you and that's me. So we have to present ourselves living sacrifices to him, as Romans 12 said. He said, therefore, he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he's quoting uh, Genesis 15, 6. Let's turn back just to Genesis 15, 6 a minute. Let's go back to 3 of 15, 3. Abram said, this is before God changed his name to Abraham. Abram means father of high and windy places, and Abraham means father of a multitude. So there are different names. So Abram said, look, you've given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one, Ishmael, shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought Abram outside and said, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he believed what God told him. He believed the Lord and he, and the Lord accounted his faith for righteousness. Then he said to him, I am the Lord. God said to Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I'll inherit it? So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and he cut them in two down the middle, placed each piece opposite the other, but he didn't cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abram, God did, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that's not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. Where was this? You know where that was? Egypt. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. What happened to Pharaoh and his army? When they charged after him, they got drowned in the Red Sea. I will judge afterward. They shall come out with great possessions. 
in the last part of Genesis says they spoiled the Egyptians when they left. Now as for you, you shall, or Exodus it is, now you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age, but in the fourth generation they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there was a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, our contract is a covenant. He made this contract. He said, to your descendants, I've given this land, all that land of Israel. And here, is the, here are the borders of it. From the river of Egypt, that would be Nile, to the great river, the river Euphrates. So that's a great, you can just almost guess where that is, all of Syria. And so from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, these are the peoples that inhabited the land, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So that's that part of that. So back to where we are in Galatians. Verse 6 of chapter 3. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the nations by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you, Abraham, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Well, we know how that came about when Jesus was born. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. For as many as are under the works of the law are under the curse. For it's written, Cursed is everyone who doesn't continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So you have to keep the whole law or you're cursed. But no one is justified by the law or declared righteous by the law by keeping the commandments or trying to. No one's justified before God, it's evident, for the just shall live by faith. So he's quoting from back here in the Old Testament, Habakkuk 2.4, the just shall live by faith. And this verse is quoted three times, first in Habakkuk, then in Romans, and then here in Galatians. The just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. If you can do all the keep the law, then you can be saved. But nobody can keep it but Jesus. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it's written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So this blessing that God promised Abraham will come upon the Gentiles. That's you and me. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it is only a man's covenant or a man's contract, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. God does not say, and to seeds as many, but as of one, and to your seed, he said, who is Christ. And this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant or the contract 
that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it's no longer of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. So we see the promise came first. What purpose then does the law serve? What reason? Why did God give the Ten Commandments through Moses 430 years later? It was added to the promise because of transgressions till the seed should come, that would be Jesus, to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. This is Moses. God gave the law through Moses. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given, which could have given life, if there had been Ten Commandments that could have brought life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. See, righteousness is not by trying to keep commandments, but it's by faith in Jesus Christ. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our school teacher, our tutor. It would teach us things that would bring us to recognize Jesus, bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. But for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, and this is a dry baptism, the wet baptism simply is a picture of the dry baptism. We are baptized by the Holy Spirit into Jesus Christ when we believe in him as Savior. And baptism means placed in union with. You better write that in your margin. Baptizo means placed in union with. So for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So this is our position before God. We have, were placed in union with Jesus Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now I say that the heir, as long as he's a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he's master of all. But he's under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so we, he's talking about Jewish Christians, when we were children, this is Old Testament, that would be when we didn't know anything more than what was in the Old Testament. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son. And that was when Jesus was born. The fullness of the time had come. God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. So we're purchased by the Lord. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, or Father, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. 
and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. But then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it, he's getting to the crux of the letter, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements, the religions that they were into before Christ, before they believed in Jesus. You turn back again. Somebody'd come to Galatia saying, you can be saved by faith, but you've got to keep the law or you've got to do this or that. See, adding works to salvation. And they do this today. How is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You want to be a slave again to them? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. Brethren, I urge you to become as I am, for I am as you are. You have not injured me at all. You know that because of physical infirmity, this is where we know Paul had something in the flesh that was a physical infirmity. I preached the gospel to you at the first, and my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Does that give us a hint as what the thorn in the flesh was with Paul? You would have plucked out your own eyes and given to him. So it was a thorn in the flesh in his eye, probably, or his eyes. And then it kind of opens up some other passages where he said, see, with my own hand, I'm writing this, even though I can't see too well. But then you would have plucked your own eyes out and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously court you, these Judaizers that came saying they had to keep the law, they had to do this and that. They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you, that you may be zealous for them. But it is good to be zealous in a good thing always, and not only when I am present with you. He said, my little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. You're a believer, but... I want you to have Christ formed in your life so that he controls you. I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I have doubts about you. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? Here's what the law really says. For it's written that Abraham had two sons, the one by the bondwoman and the other by a free woman. The bondwoman represents the law, the free woman, grace, Isaac, and Ishmael. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise, which things are symbolic. For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. So that represents the law that came, that Moses got, the Ten Commandments that Moses received on Mount Sinai. But they give birth to bondage. You're a slave, which is Hagar. That's symbolic or an object lesson or an allegory. You can write those things in your margin. So Hagar is an object lesson and Sarah is an object lesson. For this Hagar, 
is Mount Sinai in Arabia, which corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children, trying to keep the laws. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it's written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who do not travail. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. And that's quoting from Isaiah 54. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he, Ishmael, who was born according to the flesh, then persecuted him. He was 13 years old, Ishmael was, when Isaac was born. But back in Genesis 21, it tells how he persecuted his little brother. But as Ishmael persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman, Ishmael, shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Stand fast, therefore. Don't let anybody shake your faith. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. When people say you aren't just saved by grace, but you've got to do this or that, then that's a yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, that's what they wanted them to do. You can believe in Jesus, but you have to be circumcised and keep the Jewish commandments and traditions. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. But I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he's a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by law. See, that's what they were saying. And you've got to be not believe in Jesus to be justified or declared righteous, but you also have to keep the law and be circumcised. You have fallen from grace, from the grace principle. You've gone back under the law of Moses where you have to, you're a slave. For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. You ran well, you Galatians, Paul said. You ran well, you were doing so well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion that you have now that you've got to be under the law again, this persuasion does not come from him who calls you. And remember this, a little leaven, this is 1 Corinthians 5, 6, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. You don't need much yeast in the mixing bowl with the flour and the water, whatever you're going to make bread. You don't need much yeast, but a little yeast makes the whole lump pretty soon. You wait a little while and it's a whole lump of dough. It multiplies. A little leaven, verse 9, leavens the whole lump. And they use this in 1 Corinthians. A little sin in a church affects everybody. If there's somebody doing something terrible or living like in Corinthians with their mother-in-law or something, incest, that a little leaven in that group, if they aren't putting the person away, out from among them, then the whole group becomes full of sin. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. 
I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment. Whoever this fellow is that's coming and teaching them false doctrine, he'll bear his judgment, whoever he is. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. I could wish that those who trouble you would even go ahead, not only circumcise, but cut themselves off. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that's what it says in Leviticus 19.18. So back in Leviticus, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. See, within us, the old sin nature is still within us if we give into it. So we have an old nature within us and then the new nature that is the Lord Jesus comes in and lives in us. Walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The flesh, the old nature, the old sin nature, lusts against the new nature and the new nature against the old. And these are contrary to one another. And I've mentioned this story that I think I heard on Back to the Bible that a missionary said he was teaching this to an Indian chief and the Indian chief said, well, inside of me, it seems like there are two wild dogs fighting one another. And the missionary said, well, which one wins? And he said, the one I say sick them to. <laughs> which is, see, you have your choice. You can follow the old sin nature or you can follow the new nature. So if you're led by the spirit, the new nature, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh, and we can recognize this, this is what comes from our human flesh. The works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies. Isn't this an awful list? We don't like these things. Envy, but this is what comes from our old sin nature. Murders drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. They'll get to heaven, but they won't have an inheritance. They'll come in so as by fire, as we read in 1 Corinthians 3. Turn back there so that you can see that again. It's so important to see 1 Corinthians 3. Paul is saying he started the foundation of Jesus Christ in these Corinthian people, but in verse 11 of chapter 3, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation, or you're a Christian now, how are you going to build your life? If build on this foundation of Jesus, you can build with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, 
hay or straw. Each one's work, not salvation, but this is the production in the Christian life. Each one, one's work will become manifest for the day, this is Second Corinthians 5, the day of Jesus Christ's judgment, for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work, not salvation, of what sort it is. What sort of lives have we lived? If anyone's work, which he has built on it, endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, but burning doesn't bother gold, silver, precious stones, but it sure does bother wood, hair, straw. If anyone's production is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles or does things to the body that he shouldn't, defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him or the sin unto death. For the temple of God is holy, which temple our bodies are. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. And then he goes on to say um, that each one's work will be burned. So back to Galatians. So these things we think are terrible. We don't want any of these things in our lives that we just read in in Galatians chapter 5, uh, verses 19, 20, 21. If we practice these things, drunkenness, murders, and all the like, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. This is what the Holy Spirit brings forth in our life. This is what the old sin nature can bring forth, these idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, all these evil things. But the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there's no law that can convict. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Remember we read in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So these are the things that we want, gentleness, self-control. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let's walk in the Spirit. We're born again, we have the Holy Spirit, so let's move out in our lives following the Holy Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he's nothing, he deceives himself, but let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. Let him who is taught in the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. And this is just a proven law. 
Whatever you sow, if you sow corn, you're going to get corn. If you sow weeds, you're going to get weeds. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. And you can know that there are a lot of Christians that have died early because of corrupting their God-given life in the Lord and are doing things that would destroy their bodies. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are the household of faith. See with what large letters, this is what I was saying about his eyes, see with what large letters I have written to you, Paul says, with my own hand. As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these try to compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may glory in your flesh. But God forbid that I should glory, Paul says, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God, the true children of Abraham, the true Israel of God. From now on, let no one trouble me, Paul said, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Paul had had so many things happen to him, stoned and left for dead and beaten with rods. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. We'll just go right ahead with probably one of my favorite books in all the Bible, Ephesians. And I was so thrilled that there's a young man in our church that has just memorized the book of Ephesians, and he's in prison right now. But see, if for no other reason, he's there. I thought he'd memorized Romans. He did that too. And now it's Yes, now Ephesians. Ephesians. When you're sitting there, make use of your time. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. So we see that they're chosen in Christ, and I'll mention that later, to the saints who are in Ephesus. You know, every believer is a saint and faithful in Christ Jesus, but not every saint is faithful. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. I'd like you to underline every time you see in Christ or by Christ or through Christ, all of these, because it's all because of Jesus. And when you're in union with Jesus Christ, God has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him. You are chosen or elected in him. That's election. You believe in Jesus Christ, and then you're elect. He chose you. He elected you. 
in Jesus. You aren't elected if you aren't in Jesus. You're non-elect, but you are elected and you're chosen. All of these things, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him. And that some say that there should be a period here and that new sentence should be in love, having predestinated us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. What is this mystery of his will? Well, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, that hasn't come yet. That's the age that's going to come. After the rapture happens, then will be the kingdom age. And then after that, he will take us to be with him. The dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth, in him, in whom, here's another, in, underline them all, in him, in whom, in Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him. And predestination means nothing more or less than God has planned a destiny for. Predestination, planned a destiny for. It's not that God chooses some to go to heaven, some to go to hell. No, God doesn't do that. He wants everyone to go to heaven. And what keeps people out of heaven? Not believing in Jesus. And so we say here, we have an inheritance being predestined or having a destiny planned by God according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will that we who first trusted in Christ, that's the first step, should be to the praise of his glory. That's what he wants us to be, our lives to be, to the praise of his glory. In him, in Jesus, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom, in Jesus, also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. See, this is a very important passage. What happens the minute that you believe? In Jesus as your Savior, what does God do to you? He seals you with the Holy Spirit who comes to live in your body. And this Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance or the first down payment on the purchased redemption. So the Holy Spirit who enters our lives the moment we believe is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Therefore, I also after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. What am I praying? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you, you Ephesians, or now us, they give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, to know all we can know about him, and we can do that through this Bible. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory 
um, of his inheritance in the saints. What riches we have in being God's heirs. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. You can see how important this is. God, my Bible is just marked on what I'm reading you just now. Mark, mark, mark. Because it's so important. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him, his mighty power raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So as where is Jesus right now? He's seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. What is the exceeding greatness, verse 19, of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? which he worked in Christ when he, mighty power, raised him from the dead and he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and far above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. So God believed there are ages (laughs) or dispensations. You can write that. So there are ages or dispensations. We don't live in the age of Noah, do we? At the time of the flood, that was a different age. We don't live in the age of Moses. No, we live in a different age. We call it the church age right now. Not only in this age, and some have said like the Schofield Bible, seven ages or dispensations in the Bible. Not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. So there's another age after this one. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And you he made alive. This is us who were dead, spiritually dead, in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked is how we were before we were saved, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he's raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So where does God see you and me today? Seated next to Jesus in the heavenly places. That in the ages to come, so there Evidently, two more ages after this that we know of. This is the church age, and after that, we know that Jesus is coming back to rule this earth for a thousand years, and that's what most of the Old Testament talks about, the kingdom age. And then after the kingdom, then is another age, which is when Jesus will rule the earth and will be with the Lord forever. So his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace... You have been saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. So salvation is the gift of God, not faith. Faith is in the feminine gender, and that salvation is in the neuter gender, and it's non-meritorious. 
for by grace some try to make this you know in the feminine you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves that faith is the gift of God well it isn't it's salvation is the gift of God not of works and if you remember when you had to do and go conjugate but you can see for by grace is a prepositional phrase you have been saved is a subject matter you've been saved through faith how have you been saved well not by yourself salvation is the gift of god not of works lest anyone should boast for we are his workmanship created in christ jesus for good works which god prepared beforehand that we should walk in them and i've underlined the should because we have an old sin nature that can do what it wants to but god wants us to walk in his ways therefore remember that you once gentiles in the flesh are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands that at that time you are without christ being aliens from the commonwealth of israel and strangers from the covenants of promise having no hope and without god in the world now this is a picture of most of the world today they have no hope and they don't have God, no hope, and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been made near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of division between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body, Jew and Gentile, through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, we Gentiles, and to those who were near, the Jewish people. For through him... We both, Jew and Gentile, have access by one Spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, because of this, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but your fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles. Now, these are New Testament apostles and prophets. You know, there are those in the book of Acts. New Testament apostles and prophets Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So when Christ is the cornerstone, then there are New Testament apostles and prophets. There was, who had four daughters that were prophets in the book of Acts? Philip, Philip, yes, had four daughters who were prophetesses, in whom the whole building, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a habitation of God in the Spirit. I think we'll stop here, and then next week we'll start with chapter 3 of Ephesians. But we may go back and go through a little bit more of this, how we are reconciled, both Jew and Gentile, by Jesus Christ dying on the cross. Verse 18 is so important, underline it. For through Jesus, we both have access by one Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to the Father. We have access to God the Father, through the Holy Spirit, through Jesus. So this is, this is so wonderful. And so we'll go on with this next week in chapter 3 of Ephesians.
Lord, we thank you for this time together. Just bless each one here. Bless our families. Bless uh, everything about our lives that we might honor you and bring glory to you while we're still here. Because we can't do it once we're in heaven, but while we're still here, we can present our bodies living sacrifices, holy, acceptable unto you, which is our reasonable service. And may we not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds, by reading the Bible, that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will for us. So Lord, bless us each one in Jesus' name. Amen. Are there any things in this lesson that you want to ask about? It isn't easy. So if you have questions, I'm not sure I know the answer, but maybe. I think in 1, 6. Chapter 1, verse 6. Yeah. The note from Ryrie on that. In the Beloved in Christ, he says, having predestined us, to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ. But he says that that term, beloved, is the same one that was used for Mary, highly favored. Yes. So we are considered highly, highly favored. Well, we are highly favored in Christ. Very good. Thank you.